0: been looking at this journey to the way of the Holy of Holies because there is a destination that we have as far as our prayers are concerned. Our destination is to find the presence of God, is to have fellowship with Him because God loves to be with His people. You may remember last week we were talking about Moses and how that when Moses went up Mount Sinai to actually interact with God and to receive the Ten Commandments, There God says to him, I want you to make a tabernacle, I want you to make a tent of meeting for me so that I may dwell among my people. God's heart is always that he wants relationship with us. I know sometimes we don't always feel it, in fact sometimes we feel distant from God, sometimes we feel separated from God. But the desire in heaven, the desire of God himself is that he wants to be with you. Even in the New Covenant, it says this, that God has said, I will be your God and you will be my people. There's that sense in which God wants to gather us and to be with us. And he said that by the making of that tent, make a tabernacle, make a tent for me, because I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you, my people. Now we know the history of Israel, when they were first in the desert in Sinai, they had the tabernacle, this tent of where they took it up and, uh, b- built it again when they moved around the desert places for those 40 years. But, you know, when eventually they moved into the promised land, and Israel had kings, they had Saul, and then they had King David. And King David said, look, I, I don't just want this tabernacle to be in a tent. And he arranged for that Ark of the Covenant, that place where God dwelt, to come to Jerusalem where he had established his kingdom, where he'd established his palace. And even David said this, hang on a second, I'm living in a lovely palace, God's in a tent, hey, I want to build a tabernacle, I want to build a temple for God. Now, if you read the story, and you can read these stories in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, if you read the stories there, you hear how actually it wasn't for David. God said, no, it's not for you, David, to build this temple, but for your son Solomon. He will build a temple for me. And Solomon did that when he became king he built a great and beautiful temple, magnificent temple, for God. And he built it, interestingly, along exactly the same lines as we were talking about last week as far as the tabernacle is concerned. Because God has prescribed a way that we should meet with Him. And there's a journey that we must take to go to meet with God. And He has prepared that way. And so Solomon built the temple on exactly those lines. Now that first temple, the temple of Solomon, unfortunately was destroyed. Destroyed by the Babylonians when the children of Israel went into uh, captivity. But when they came back, people like Ezra, Nehemiah, they helped to rebuild the walls. Or Nehemiah helped to rebuild the walls. And people like Haggai, the prophet, actually encouraged the people to rebuild a temple. And so they built a second temple in Jerusalem. And uh, where God again would be among his people. And that temple, obviously as time goes on, that temple comes under a bit of disrepair. And actually when Herod, Herod the Great, uh, came and was ruling over Judea um, about 10 BC, he actually helped to rebuild and to to renovate the temple. And that was the temple that was there when Jesus actually came, the second temple. In actual fact, I've got a picture for you, uh, which you can have a look at as it comes up on your screens now. The picture shows uh, Jerusalem and the wall around Jerusalem and it shows lots of uh, uh, buildings but there in the middle is this great area and you can see the courtyards and right in the middle of the courtyard you can see the temple buildings. That's the actual picture. Now we are going to go on a floor plan of that whole area. So in the middle is the temple but around it are all these courts. The golden gate is actually the entry into all of that area and you can see you go through the golden gate and you come into the courtyards and then you go through the beautiful gate and you come to the court of women and then you go up some stairs and you come to the court of Israel and then you come to the court of the priests and then you actually come to the beginning of the temple. There is a whole long route that your priest would take Of coming to the temple. He would walk all through that way. And then he'd come to the temple. And then he'd go into the temple. And he'd come to the altar of sacrifice. And the things that we looked at last week. Until on the the day of atonement. The high priest would make his way all the way. Into the holy of holies. And there he would intercede before the ark. On behalf of the people. That's the route that the temple priest would take. Now some people say that that route actually was known by the temple priests as the way. It was the way to God that the priests had to take. And it's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus came and we read of him in John 14, 6 where he says of himself, he says, I, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus indicating to the Israelites, look, you know a way to God, because you know that's the way the priest goes, but I'm telling you now that I am coming to be the way, the way to that place. Which of course is one of the reasons why we pray in the name of Jesus, because we go through Jesus. Another interesting fact of this time is also when Jesus when Jesus actually died on the cross. It reports in Matthew's gospel that the moment that he dies... It says this, Matthew 27:51. At that moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the curtain they're talking about is that curtain that separated the ark, the place where God was, from the next place, the holy place. Remember, only one priest, the high priest, could go through that curtain into that Holy of Holies once a year. But now that Jesus had died, Jesus had made a way for us to have our sins forgiven. And so therefore the need of that curtain or the separation of that curtain was required no more. And that was shown as it was torn from the top to the bottom. Jesus makes a permanent way. It doesn't matter what day of the week, it doesn't matter what time of day, there is a way that is open for us to come to God. And that way now for us is through prayer. That we come in prayer and we can come at any time, in any place, and even whatever our circumstances, we can come and we can start that journey to come to the Holy of Holies. As we remember last week, it was in that Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark. The box where the Ten Commandments were had a lid. That lid is called the mercy seat. And on that lid there's also two cherubs that actually have their wings over the top. So there's the the bottom of the lid and there's the top of of the cherub's wings. And it's in that space that Moses would speak to God. It's in that space. And we want to come to that place. It says in Exodus 25 There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commandments for the Israelites. The goal of our seeking God, the goal of our time of renewal, but the goal of our lives is that we seek God to find His presence and to hear His heart. So that we become changed, we become transformed As we encounter God and as we receive strength from Him. Remember what Jesus says. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. We need truth. We need truth to undergird us on this journey. And He is life. As we come to God, we receive life. Life in all of its fullness. Life to give us strength. Life to give us the ability to live. To live here on the earth, shining out for God. So we want to have this goal in mind, that we're on a journey of seeking God, coming to His presence. And this morning I want to look at four things, four things that that hinder us. What things act as a hindrance to us from reaching our destination? And we've got four things that we're going to look at. I know previously I've spoken of a great hindrance that affects us all. That of our own independence, our humanistic spirit, our pride, which affects all of us and can affect the way that we come to God, because that can get in the way. But today I want to look at four things that really affect us as individuals when we come to pray. And I think you probably have experienced some of these, but I want to look at them. They are deception, distraction, sin, and faith. Those are the four things we're going to quickly look at today. So number one, deception. I was reading Mark's Gospel the other day, and as I started reading... I read in Mark 1, 24. Let me read to you. Suddenly it says, a man in the synagogue, this is Jesus who was preaching in a synagogue, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Then as I move on, I read in chapter 3 that Jesus is healing people. Mark 3 verse 11 and it says and whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him shrieking you are the son of God. And then as I'm reading further on I get to chapter 5 and I'm reading about how Jesus and the disciples had gone to the region of the Gerasenes and they were met by a man who was possessed by many demons. And as I'm reading in Mark 5, verse 7, it says, With a shriek, this is the man, with a shriek he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And as I was reading this, what struck me was that when it comes to the demons, the demons all know who Jesus is. There's no doubt in their minds. There's no confusion as far as they're concerned. We know who you are. You are the Son of God. They know exactly the truth and they proclaim what is to be true in front of God. James, in his letter writing to the Christians, he says this, James 2 verse 19. You say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. So James was expressing the same thing. In the demonic realm, the demons themselves know that God is there now in our world when we talk to people around us maybe people at work or colleagues even on zoom calls maybe some people express well is there a God there's a question is there a God I don't believe in God people say God isn't real these are some of the questions that come up there's lots of statements that God isn't real but it's interesting isn't it because there's uncertainty about God in our present world But actually when the demons are uh, are confronted with Jesus, they know exactly who they are and they proclaim that truth out aloud. What we find though is that the demons and those in the demonic realm, they simply follow the way of their leader, Satan. They act like him. And Satan's way is this, which Jesus explained in John 8.44. It says that he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And it's not surprising that the world that is all around us is full of these lies because in 1 John 5.19 it says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. The demons know the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is God. And when confronted with Jesus, they would announce that. They know that truth, but rather than guiding us and letting us know that truth, they seek to do all they can to deceive us, to lie to us, to confuse us, so that we are put away from the truth. Talk about fake news. Fake news is what the demons love to invest in and love to share with us. And it's important, you know, because when we come to pray, we engage in a spiritual activity. It's amazing what prayer actually does. Prayer takes us from the physical realm, where we are as human beings, and it helps us to connect to the spiritual realm, where God is. God is spirit, and He lives in the spiritual realm. But prayer enables us to make the connection from the physical realm to the spiritual realm and brings us together so that we can have communion. That's exactly what happened when Moses is getting down on his knees and going before the Ark of the Covenant and talking there just above the Ark top with God. That was the physical realm connecting to the spiritual realm and there was able to have communion between those two realms and Moses came out knowing the heart of God, knowing the will of God, knowing the purposes of God. The enemy knows the power of that connection for every human being who goes to seek that place Before God. And therefore he does all that he can. To deceive us. To confuse us. To throw us off. Even though he knows the truth. He seeks to do all in his power. To tell us lies and deception. So when we come to prayer. We need to be very focused. When we come to prayer. We need to keep the goal that we have in mind. Our goal is that I am seeking the presence of God. I need to remain focused on that. I need to remind myself of God's promises. The things that are in the Word. Remembering the Word of God. Remembering the promises of God. Because the promises of God are truth. And we have to get away from the lies. And lies come into our mind. Even as we start to pray, sometimes things come into our mind. Oh, you can't believe that. Is God really real? No, I have to hold on to truth. We have to make a focus Keeping the goal of his presence in mind. Reminding ourselves about God's promises and holding on to those. And remembering at the same time that there is a persistence. There is a perseverance that is necessary for us to keep going. So that we overcome the obstacles and we press into the presence of God. Deception comes against us when we start to pray. Secondly, distraction. Now, I understand that deception really is one form of distraction that can come to us. And I want to highlight the fact that when we start to pray, often thoughts come into our minds. And if we don't bring them under control, they can start to take over our activity and even take us away from the place of prayer. So you can imagine somebody coming before God and they're saying, Lord, Lord, I want to pray for my children. I want to pray for them because they're off school. And it's really challenging for them. And I want them to connect with you. Father, I'm lifting them before you. And you can imagine this person is praying on behalf of their children, asking God to help them. And suddenly like, oh Lord, and I, I remember. And, oh, and suddenly into their minds, I remember, I need to get some shoes for them. I, I've got to get some new shoes. They, know, they all need new shoes. Oh my goodness, I haven't done that yet. Now when am I going to do that? And what color do they need? And what size? Have they grown? And suddenly, in the middle of praying for your children... Suddenly, this thought or this remembrance that, yes, you might need to get shoes for them. But now is not the time to think about that. Now is the time for my goal to press into the presence of God. But even though that was your original goal, you're finding that thoughts are coming from all angles and confusing you. And you know what? If you're not careful, you're going into that place of prayer to lift up your children, or as in this example... And suddenly you find yourself thinking like, well, hang on a second, I haven't got time to pray. I need to get back to the internet and to check out where's the best places for me to get these shoes. Can I order them online? Do they have the sizes I need? And suddenly, instead of praying, you find you're in front of your computer and you're now looking at various shopping places where you can get the things that you need. One moment you were commencing a journey, a serious journey, a spiritual journey, on the way to the Holy of Holies, on the way to make connection with God... And the next minute, you find you are fully occupied with other things completely. What seemed to be the most urgent of things of that moment, whether it's buying shoes, or in fact it can be all sorts of different things. The interesting thing is, the enemy seems to have a way of just tailor-making the thoughts that come for your situation. So you may not have children. You may, they may not have any need of new shoes. But for you, it's what's being cooking on Sunday now, or what have I got to get prepared, or what business meeting have I got to prepare for, or I've forgotten to do that. Suddenly, all sorts of things come to you. Distraction comes to break our focus of prayer, to break our concentration. Persistence and perseverance, again, are our friends because we need to persevere. We need to put aside those distracting thoughts so that we maintain our focus and we keep moving ahead. So deception comes against us. The enemy brings deception and he also brings distraction to us in many ways. Third point, sin. Now sin is a very big word and it can cover all sorts of different things. But basically what I want to say with this is we need to understand that as Christians there is a calling on our life to live a holy life. To live a holy life. We should be actively seeking to get away from sin in our lives. 1 Peter 1 verse 16 says this, For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. There is a requirement for us to be seeking to live a holy life. There's a need for us to watch the way that we're walking, the habits that we cultivate, the things that we do with our time. All of these things need to be surrendered to God. And often this is a process. I understand it's a process. We don't always start in the the, the front line position. We work towards this. It's something that happens in our lives. But nevertheless... There is a requirement for us as Christians to live holy lives. And we keep progressing in that journey of holiness. And you know, when we think of sin, or when we find sin, or when we see sin in our lives, then we need to repent of that. We need to bring that before God. Can I just say, repenting isn't just acknowledging. Oh yes Lord, I'm sorry I did that." that. That's acknowledging your sin. Repentance is turning away from your sin. I remember a preacher once saying, repentance is this, repentance is never doing that sin again. And it's funny how sometimes you just remember the words that one preacher says. And uh, I guess if you remember a few of the words I say, that would be a good thing too. But you remember that, and I remember this preacher saying that, and that struck a chord with me. Wow, that's what repentance is. Repentance is actually saying, Lord, this is wrong, this is not what you want, it's going from my life. That's it. Often we find we don't get to the place of repentance, we get to the place of confessing or admitting. Yes, Lord, I did it. Yes, I did it. Yes, I did it. Yes, I've done it again. Yes, I've done it again. When he's looking for us to repent, he wants us to walk in a way of holiness. Now, the reason I talk about sin is because sin affects the communication line. If our goal is to be seeking God, if our goal is to be walking with God, and yet we know there's sin in our lives, there is a difficulty for God to hear our prayers. Why do I say that? Psalm 66 verse 18, the psalmist writes this, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. There's no point in us thinking that, oh, we're going to have all of our prayers answered if we know that there's sin in our lives. You see, it affects the relationship that we can have. And it's not just that particular verse. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 read like this. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. Hallelujah. Nor is His ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore. We need to understand there is a need for holiness and a need for repentance in our lives. That's why on that journey last week we looked at how we come first of all, as we come into the temple area, we come to that altar, that place which can be a place of sacrifice, can be a place of sacrifice for sin. As it was in the Old Testament, Jesus is now our sacrifice. But nevertheless, there's the need for us to cleanse our lives so that sin doesn't hinder our prayers. Deception, distraction, and sin. And finally, I just want to talk about faith. Faith. Faith is the basis of everything. Faith is very, very important in our lives. Because without it, we can't please God. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. The enemy wants to undermine our faith. He wants to attack our faith. He wants to attack it with seeds of doubt. Remember the serpent in the Garden of Eden questioning Eve? Did God really say... Like, Are you sure? Are you sure that's what he said? Have you got it right? You see, he always wants to sow seeds of doubt. He wants to sow seeds of doubt in your life. But that's why we need to come to the Word of God and say, no, 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 it is written. You remember when Jesus was tempted? He's tempted by the enemy and the enemy kept saying and even quoting scripture. But Jesus quoted back scripture to say, no, you can't do this. It is written, hey, you're hungry, Jesus. Make these stones become bread. It is written, the man shall not live on bread only, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have to use the word of God. We have to come back to truth. John 8 verse 31 encourages us with this, If you hold to my teaching, says Jesus, then you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth, strengthening ourselves in the word of God, reading that truth, meditating on that truth, is very important and it helps us to be able to overcome some of the lies and the confusion that the enemy sends to us. Our journey of prayer is important because we want to get to God's presence so that it can bring peace and refreshment to our hearts and so that we can get strength in ourselves. Now, the writer of the Hebrews explains what faith is. He says in Hebrews 1, 11 Faith, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And when we come to prayer, it's not as though as soon as you say, Lord Jesus that suddenly He's there, appearing to you. You're praying, you're believing His presence is coming to you, but you can't see Him because you're acting in faith. Faith is not a formula. Faith is simply believing the truth of God and holding on to that belief, even if with your physical eye you can see nothing different from what was in front of you. Faith is taking hold of what we hope for. It is an assurance about what we do not see. For example, the writer of the Hebrews carries on, and in verse 3 of chapter 11, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. The evidence for God is all around us. It's all around us. But sometimes it takes some real looking for us to actually see it. The enemy wants to uh, confuse us. He wants to distract us. But we need to stand firm in our faith, resisting him, submitting ourselves to God because it is God who will help us. Listen, I just mention these things because I want to encourage you to carry on your prayers. To carry on always with that focus of we're going to reach a goal. And the goal that we're aiming for is that we're seeking God for His presence so that we may find Him and receive His heart and understanding on all the matters that pertain to our life. It is a journey. It's a real journey. It's a journey where the physical realm is connecting to the spiritual realm that we may receive the life of God. There are hindrances, as I've talked about. There are things that confuse and come against us. But as we stand, as we worship, as we confess our sins, as we draw near to Him, He is gracious. Remember this. God's heart is always this. He wants to come among His people, to dwell with His people, To help his people have relationship with him. And that includes you. I want to ask you. Have you got relationship with Jesus Christ? If you haven't and you've never made that point in your life. Of coming to him. I want to say to you. You can do that quite sincerely. By just praying even where you are right now. And saying Lord Jesus I want you to come into my life. I want to find real life. I want to find real change. I want to find real hope. I want to find real peace. I want to be established in faith. And I don't even know where to start, but I come to you because you are creator of all things. You have the answers that I need, so I surrender to you. Open your heart up and ask Him to come in. Because as you ask Him to come in, He does come in. And He will strengthen you. And He will help you. May God bless you. Have a good week. We'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.